Hello friends, Tom here from wherever you are tuning in. I want to welcome you. Uh, man, I really, especially uh, for whatever reason today, I really do miss being with you in person. Um, man, I miss hearing you sing to Jesus. Uh, I miss singing with you. I miss praising him. I miss preaching and seeing your faces and interacting with you. I miss some of your processing faces. Uh, some of you process in ways that uh, <laughs> are funny to watch because I'm not sure if you're angry with me or if you're just processing. It's like a interesting thing. Some of you, um, it's clear to see when God is moving in your heart by the look on your face, and I don't get to do that right now, and that pains me. I miss you. I miss being together on Sundays. And um, for those of you that are wondering kind of what our plan is as a church, we are waiting on the Lord, we are seeking Him, and we are praying for a gathering space on Sundays. Um, we're going to continue to do that until God gives us a green light. Um, we're going to continue to press into Him regardless of the circumstances. Um, so I'm going to encourage you, keep praying. Um, we're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to continue to provide um, uh, messages and moments and opportunities uh, for you to praise Him and sing to Him together as the church in different places. Kind of do that virtually through our virtual um, services, our virtual Sunday gatherings. Um, but in the meantime, continue to press in, continue to seek the Lord, continue to seek each other out in the ways that we can practice the way of Jesus, where we can practice being God's people together, um, even through the various trials that we are um, in the middle of. And like I said, uh, I've said this before, we'll keep you posted as soon as we get more information. We're investigating a bunch of different things, trying to really discern God's voice in all of this. We want what he wants for our community, not just what's, what seems right to us as leaders or as a community. We want, we want God to guide our steps. He is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. So keep praying. Um, now, today, what we're going to do is we're going to jump back into our series going through the Gospel of John uh, entitled Jesus Is. Now, um, we're in a new year. Uh, we just came out of a series where we spent a couple weeks um, talking about and, and really like processing 2020 and looking ahead to 2021. If you haven't checked those messages out, I highly encourage you to do that. But we're thinking, okay, what should we do after this transition series? Try to figure out something clever, what's, you know, what's relevant, all that kind of stuff. Listen, with everything that's happening right now, everything that's going on in our nation and in our world, I mean, just this week, um, seeing these riots that are happening in Washington, D.C., people storming the Capitol building, um, I, heard, I heard even that people are doing this in the name of Jesus. Like, I just want to be clear, um, violence and rioting, like Jesus has no part in that. He never has, and he never will. Jesus is the God who says, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. So with all this stuff that's happening, more violence, more unrest, more fear, with so much increased division that we're seeing take place in our society, listen to me. I cannot think of anything more relevant, more important, and more beneficial than examining Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to jump back into our series, Jesus Is, where we're spending intentional time going verse by verse to the Gospel of John and examining Jesus. 
the many facets of who he is, of what he's done and what that means for us. Because hopefully, if we get a glimpse of Jesus, the true Jesus will be transformed from the inside out because what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing in our life. Jesus is, there's no one like him. We want to fix our eyes on him with everything going on around us. We want to fix our eyes on the Alpha, the Omega, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, the Prince of Peace, and the Savior of the world. Now, as amazing and as wonderful as Jesus is, Jesus is also hated. That's what our passage is about today. Jesus is the hated one. We're going to be in John chapter 15. If you have a Bible close by, you can grab that. The words will be on the screen for you. Before I jump into today's passage, I want to pray. So from wherever you're tuning in, if you want to join me, that would be fantastic. Let's pray. Father, um, I'm uneasy in my spirit when I consider all the things that are happening around me, around us, the unrest, the violence, the division, the fear, the hatred. But thankfully, we have you, Jesus, and we have your spirit in us to provide peace, to provide guidance. And so, Spirit, we look to you now. We focus our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls as much as we possibly can as humans. We focus ourselves and we submit ourselves to your care, to your teaching, to your guidance. Would you point us to Jesus, Holy Spirit? Would you point us to Jesus? We love you and we need you. Lead us. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. I'm going to read a little bit, and I'll talk a little bit, kind of give some commentary, read a bit, but we'll get through this passage together, okay? John 15, starting in verse 18 here. Jesus says this. He says, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Okay, pause. What does it mean when Jesus says to be of the world? Okay, this small little word of, it's two letters, tiny little word, okay? But it has massive implications. Of, what it means, I, I kind of did some research trying to discern, okay, is there any difference in the translation, you know, from the Greek to the English and of and what that can mean? What it means here is it means one among, okay? So, so, so we're like, like part of, <clears throat> okay? So it implies association. Now, I am a father to two amazing girls. And um, <clears throat> with girl, being a, a dad of girls, there are certain things that you would expect as, you know, when they're little and they're growing up, one of which is Disney princesses. And uh, if you're familiar with the Disney cartoon, Frozen. There's like a Frozen 2 now. and But when the first Frozen came out, man, it was like massive. Okay. The characters were seemingly like <clears throat> on every advertisement and the songs were everywhere. You're always hearing them. My girls, like they love Frozen. Okay. They can't get enough of Frozen. The characters, all that stuff. If, you, if you've seen Frozen, I'm sure you've been living under a rock if you haven't heard about Frozen. So <clears throat> you, get, you probably know what I'm talking about here. Frozen, the, the Disney cartoon. 
there is a character, two characters to be exact, in, in the cartoon uh, that are princesses. Okay, you have Princess Elsa and Princess Anna. And their titles are their, so let's use Anna for example, she is Princess Anna of Arendelle. I lost the name there, but Princess Anna of Arendelle. <clears throat> okay, and that she's of a place. She's of a kingdom. She's part of that specific kingdom. She's actually a princess in that kingdom, but she's of Arendelle, Anna of Arendelle. So when we think of this word of, I want you to think of almost like citizenship. So to be of the world is to belong to or to have allegiance to or to share the same values culturally as the world, of the world. Now, interestingly enough, when the Bible refers to the earth or the world, it's in contrast to heaven. Okay, so, so, so heaven is God's kingdom, right, where he's king. So the earth or the world is different than the kingdom of heaven, okay? So oftentimes when you think of like heaven, people think the opposite of heaven is hell. According to the scriptures, you have it different. When they contrast heaven with something, the, the scriptures contrast heaven with earth, the world. In 1 John five nineteen, it says this, We know that we are of God. And the whole world is under the sway, not of God, it says, but of the evil one. He's referring to Satan here. Whereas God is the ruler of heaven, Satan is the ruler of earth. Okay? In several places, the Bible tells us that Satan, he rebelled against God, right? And he was banished from heaven and he was cast down where? To earth. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, So the great dragon, Satan, was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels with him. Okay, more for you. Speaking of Satan, Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 30. He says, I will not talk with you much longer. He's talking to his disciples, and he's going to refer to Satan here, because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. I want you to see the Bible, it contrasts heaven, not with hell, but with earth. Okay? Listen, hell is real. I'm not trying to dismiss hell. That's just another, that's another message altogether. I want you to see that the Bible contrasts heaven with earth. Okay? You see, before sin, heaven and earth, what did they do? They, They coexisted in the same realm. God creates Adam and Eve. All things are perfect. The perfect unity between God and man and man and man and man and the rest of creation, right? So you have heaven and earth coexisting in the same realm and then you have sin. The fall of man. The rebellion of man against God. And because of the fall, the coexistence of heaven and earth in the same realm is now impossible. So listen, to be of the world is to not be associated with the kingdom of heaven. Heaven and earth are now in opposition to one another. Different kingdoms with different rulers, with different values and different customs. One commentary defines the world as this, quote, human society organizing itself without God. 
So in other words, God is not included, and he certainly isn't king. And Jesus says, the world hates him, and the world hates his disciples. Writing on this passage, uh, William Barclay says this, excuse me, quote, The world always suspects nonconformity. It likes a pattern. It likes to be able to label people and to put them in neat categories. Anyone who does not conform to the pattern will certainly meet trouble. The basic demand on Christians is the demand that they should have the courage to be different. To be different will be dangerous. But none of us can be a Christian unless we accept that risk. For there must be a difference. Listen to this. There must be a difference between the men and women of the world and the men and women of Christ. End quote. So the first big thing I want you to see that we see in this passage is this. The way of Jesus will stand out in the world. Okay, so the question then becomes, if the way of Jesus, following Jesus, causes you to stand out in the world, the question becomes, how much do you resemble the world? To put it in another way, do you stand out or do you blend in? Um, When my family and I were living in San Diego with uh, planting the other two uh, not the other two, but the, for the first two uh, restored churches, restored uptown and restored south there. When we were living in San Diego, uh, we had annual passes to the San Diego Zoo. Okay, if you've ever been to the San Diego Zoo, you know it is legit. Okay, it is such a great zoo. It's a wonderful place to be. We take the girls there all the time. It was a cool place for us to just spend time together as a family. And we kind of got to know the zoo really well. And there was a, a handful of times where you know just different animals would not be available for whatever reason and 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 I remember I can still remember the first time I w- w- around the reptile area you know the first time I actually saw the chameleon now that might sound funny because you know chameleons they kind of uh, adapt to whatever environment they're in and they kind of camouflage themselves but I remember the first time I saw the chameleon and here's the thing about the chameleon whether or not it's in its cage, like, you know, it has to be there, but it's hard to spot it because it blends in. So you, it, could be, it could be in its, you know, living area and you could still not be able to find it because it blends in. Listen to me. Christians are not like chameleons. They're not like chameleons where they, where they change depending on the environment they're in. You know, the, or they're churchy with church people, or, or they're gossipy with gossipy people, and then they're, they're drunk with the drunk people. Christians aren't supposed to change depending on their environment. They're supposed to stand out. The way of Jesus, practicing that way, the way of Jesus, you will stand out in the world. When someone tells you a racist joke, how do you respond? Do you laugh? Do you stay quiet? Do you you say something? When gossip, when it breaks out around you, what do you do? When you, we're all in the world. 
So when worldly things happen around us, when gossip breaks out around you, what do you do? Do you participate? Do you just kind of hush and stay quiet? Do you address it? Listen to me. The way of Jesus will stand out in the world. Okay, because the way of Jesus means doing things differently than the world does. And listen, that can be dangerous. Confronting the racist joke or the gossip, it doesn't always go well. So it's easy to see why non-conforming Christians are hated because they're not chameleons. They don't just blend in. They live differently. They stand up for what's right and for what's good. They honor God and they honor other people. And that doesn't always go well for them. They're in the world, in that environment, but they don't live as chameleons. They stand out and that can be dangerous. Christians are not chameleons. They're salt and light. They stand out. Now, <clears throat> another really important thing before we move on here. Uh, verse 19, let's read it again. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Chosen you out of it. Two massive things here for the Christian. The first thing, God chose you. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, God chose you. The second thing, he chose you out of the world. Okay, this means that you were once of the world, associating with, adapting to, blending in with the world. You once lived in opposition to God's ways. Okay, the next big thing that I want you to see here, if you're a Christian, oh, let's never lose sight of the fact that God himself chose you. When I was a kid, a young kid, man, <clears throat> my dad would surprise me with uh, what he referred to as a lucky day. Now, man, I have such fond memories of, of having lucky days with my dad, okay? <clears throat> I grew up in a different time, so if what I'm about to say causes you to be like, oh, that's weird, like it was one of the best things about my childhood, okay? There'd be days when my dad would pull me out of school and he goes, we're having a lucky day. There, oftentimes they were a surprise, okay? He didn't always take me out of school. My parents cared about my education, but I'm using that as an example where it would be like, I didn't see this coming. I'm gonna now spend the day, the entire day with my dad, just kind of one-on-one, -on -one. Uh, it, it, so life-giving, so encouraging, so good, especially for a young child, right? So we go on these lucky days. Uh, my dad's a musician uh, that's carried down to me and to my brother. And so without fail, we would go to some music shop and check out instruments or whatever. And then we would go to this place, this Mexican food restaurant, and I would get a quesadilla. And typically, not typically, every single time, <clears throat> we would end the lucky day by going to Toy City. Okay, so think, this is back in the day, this is, this is you know, the height of retail. A huge toy store. Like as good as it gets for a kid, okay? And he would take me into Toy City and he would find an aisle where it was appropriate and he would say, you know, appropriate price-wise, and he would say, pick something. You can, have, you can pick anything on this aisle. In this section right here, pick whatever toy you want. And most of the time, I mean the vast majority of the time, do you know what I would pick? 
I would grab off the shelf, kind of like a Hot Wheel car, but it wasn't a car, it was a motorcycle, like a dirt bike, about the size of maybe your hand. And I loved it. Man, I used to play with those little toy dirt bikes, like every day. Why did I choose the motorcycle? Why did I choose a little toy dirt bike? Because of the pleasure it brought me. Okay, I'd play with it for hours. It brought me pleasure, that's why I chose it. Listen to me. Your choices are directly related to what brings you pleasure. And the same is true of God. Listen to me, if you're in Christ, that means that God chose you for his good pleasure because you bring him pleasure. Think about that for a second. He could have anything, anyone, yet he chose you. Why? Because you bring him pleasure. If you're in Christ, oh, that should make your heart come alive. The God of the universe chose me, selected me, because I bring him pleasure. If you're, if you're not in Christ, if you aren't in Christ, listen to me, what's keeping you? What's keeping you from receiving God's grace and his love for you? What's keeping you from receiving his forgiveness? What's keeping you from trusting that God chose you, not because of your resume, but simply because you bring him pleasure? What is keeping you? He's made himself available to you. What's keeping you? So two massive things here for the Christian. The first thing, God chose you. The second thing I want to talk about really quickly is he chose you out of the world. Okay, he chose you out of something. It was a rescue. Okay, it was a rescue from the bondage of sin, from the slavery of being unable to say no to sin. It's bondage. It was a rescue from being, from, from, from blending in, from, from, from blending into the way of the world like a chameleon. You see, the world's super clear. The world says, ah, oh, me first. Me first. You do you. Do what makes you feel better. Follow your heart. Me first. Do whatever it takes to get ahead. Do whatever it takes to get your way, ultimately. We might put on a facade, but ultimately it serves our purposes. And don't you see, when every single person is living that way, me first, my way, my purposes, when you live that way, it all leads to destruction. It, it all leads to, to pain and division and ultimately to death. But God chose you out of the world to rescue you from that. There's nothing more beautiful than that, friends. There's nothing more romantic than the pursuing God after his people. Nothing more spectacular, nothing more amazing than the personal, intentional love of God for you. So Christian, please, don't ever forget God chose you. 
and he rescued you. Why? Because he loves you. Let's keep going. Verse 20. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Pause. Jesus is the hated one. Jesus is the hated one. The world hates Jesus, so it will hate you. The world persecuted Jesus, so it will persecute you. The next big thing I need you to see here is that opposition and even persecution is inevitable for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, for the disciple. It's inevitable. Okay? So Jesus is like, do not be surprised when it happens. It happened to me. And you're my disciple, it will happen to you. This is why in Luke chapter 14, Jesus speaks about this idea of counting the cost. Counting the cost of following him, of being his disciple. He says there's a cost to following Jesus. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> there's a massive cost to following Jesus. The uh, famous German martyr theologian, just incredible pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this amazing book called The Cost of Discipleship. Okay, if you're not familiar with Bonhoeffer, he was <clears throat> a German pastor who opposed Hitler and the Nazis during World War II, was killed. Uh, he says this in his book, Cost of Discipleship. Famous quote says this, quote, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Strong words, okay? Listen, sometimes this means actual martyrdom, Okay? But more often, it simply means that there is a significant cost to following Jesus. And that cost is this, dying to yourself. Dying to your old way of life, your way. Dying to being of the world. And that's like when we baptize new believers, like that's what we're signifying, right? <clears throat> This is like elementary Christianity. It's amazing, but it's, it's the basics. Like baptism signifies this is dying to your old way of life, right? Dying to being of the, of the world, going underneath the water, like in the same way that Jesus died, right? In the tomb, under the water, dying to your old way of life, dying to being of the world and then being raised, raised out of the water, being born again to new life, sharing in Jesus' death and sharing in Jesus' resurrection to new life. Friends, there's a cost to following Jesus. Dying to yourself, your old ways, the ways of the world. Do you realize what it means to follow Jesus? Like, like actually follow him. Not just like when you're, you know, when you're registering to vote or you're doing your census data or where you mark the box like I'm Christian. Like not just acknowledging that Jesus is real. Or, or, or saying that he is God. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about actually following him. I'm talking about being a, a, a disciple, a Christian. Do you know what it means to actually follow Jesus? It means giving up everything in exchange for him. Your old way of life. Because I want him. That's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is, to the Christian, Jesus is supreme. Okay, like, he's my Lord. He, he's my rescuer. He's the treasure of the universe, and he's my treasure. 
Is that true for you? If you can't honestly say that that's true for you, then you're either not yet a Christian or you've drifted. Thankfully, God is loving and he's patient and he's gracious and he's merciful and he invites us to come back to him time and time again, just like the prodigal son. And he embraces us. It's who he is. He delights in saving sinners and rescuing them. Listen, for some of you, maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe out of my entire sermon, like you're not blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, it's like the peanut mom, you know, and, and <clears throat> Charlie Brown. Maybe the one thing you need to hear is God's loving and gracious invitation to you to come back to him. Jesus is saying that a Christian lives a new life. And as a result of this new life, this new way of living, there are unpleasant and uncomfortable things that you will face as a disciple. Okay, one of which is being hated by the world because Jesus is the hated one. And his disciples will be hated too. Now, next big thing, I'm going to try to speed up here. <clears throat> the next big thing I want you to see. And I want to talk about is why is Jesus and by association his disciples, why are they hated? Uh, let me give you some context here for the John when it was written. Now, <clears throat> you have the Roman government, right? The superpower at the time. They hated Christians. They hated Christians because of why? They were disloyal citizens. Okay? How were they disloyal? Because they believed in a different king. They, they said that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Okay? And the rest of the people... The rest of the people hated Christians because they were thought to be revolutionaries. Because they lived differently. They went against the grain of the culture. They stood out. Okay, They were seen as dangers, as soci dangers to society and society's values. Now, thousands of years have gone by, but not much has changed, has it? Living a Christian life stands out. You live differently, and that <clears throat> and living differently is seen as dangerous to the values of the society of the of around you, the world. Okay, the same is true for today. The same is true for today. <clears throat> Excuse me, Christians maintaining a historical view of marriage, right? That, that marriage is between one man and one woman in covenant, and, and that sex. Is, is, is a gift from God and is exclusively for marriage, okay? That stands out. That doesn't blend in, okay? Christians believe that abortion is heartbreaking for everyone involved, especially the unborn baby. Christians believe that all humans, every single human, whether you have a disability, whether you're this, this ethnicity or that ethnicity or that race or that creed, no matter what you believe, whether, it's, whether you're in full agreement with Christian beliefs or not, all people, all people, every human being has value. And that value comes not from what they can give others or, or whatever. 
That value comes for the simple fact that they were created in the image of Almighty God. Christians are hated because they have a different king and different values. And those values directly oppose the values of the world that they're in. And because of that, opposition and even persecution are inevitable. Let's keep going. Verse 21. Jesus keeps saying, he says, But they will do all these things to you on account of my name. Because they don't know the one who sent me. He's referring to his father, right? The father sent the son. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. Strong language. Verse 24. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus is the hated one. D.A. Carson, commenting on this portion of the passage, says this, quote, The idea here is not that if Jesus had not come, the people would be sinless. Rather, if Jesus had not come, they would not be guilty of the weighty sin of directly rejecting and hating Jesus, whose words and works were the clearest light and fullest revelation of the Father, end quote. Listen. To reject Jesus' words and works. So what he said and what he did is to reject him. Like that's literally what it means. Someone comes to you and, sh- and speaks to you and, and, and does things to you and you reject those things as not true. Uh, you're, in essence, you are rejecting that person, okay? So these people rejecting what Jesus said and what he did, in essence, they rejected him and by extension, the one who sent them, God the Father. My next big point for you here. There is a sin that is worse than any other sin. And that is rejecting Jesus as king. When Ebony and I were newly married, um, we we bought our first house. And and I remember we had a friend, Ebony's friend over. I had over for dinner. And actually, no, we had over for lunch. And we're sitting at our dining room table and we're just kind of talking and, and we got to talking about just several ways where um, Ebony and I were experiencing Jesus. Like, like his, his transforming grace. Like the ways that he was breaking into our life and reorienting things and cleaning us and healing us. Um, mostly internally, just just the incredible, amazing relationship that we were developing with Jesus. And this this girl, she's not she was not a Christian. <clears throat> and so, we, like I said, we're sharing all these things about what Jesus is doing in our lives, and and she's not a Christian, so she has some obje- objections, right? Some of the classic objections, you know, the problem of evil and suffering, and a lot of different things, right? And so I'm responding to her objections. Um, kind of like that there's purpose in all this. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm giving her answers to her questions and to her reservations. And I'm, 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 I'm trying to probe her hard and asking her different things, you know. And even with like, and I, to be honest with you, like I was giving her um, loving and honorable, but, but clear and good responses to her objections. 
But there still seemed to be like this fairly intense resistance. It, almost like she like there's like these walls that were just built up, right? <clears throat> and so I kind of paused the conversation and I said, wait a second, like, listen. I was like, let's just say, hypothetically, let's just say that all of this that we're talking about, all of it's verifiably true. Hypothetically, okay, like it's it's certain, it's proven, it's all totally true, right? Like Jesus is God. It's verifiable. It's it's true. Uh, that he said um, <clears throat> and did all the things that the Bible says that he said and did. Like, let's just pretend that all of that was true and verifiable. Would you believe then? Like, like would you trust in him then? And in this profound moment, she responds and she says, no. No, I wouldn't. In other words, under no circumstances, and I mean no circumstances, will Jesus ever be my king. Friends, it doesn't get any worse than that. All right, let's finish out our passage, our final verse for today, verse 25. But this happened... So that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled, they hated me for no reason. Um, <clears throat> right there, he's quoting, he's referring to Psalm 69, verse 4, uh, where it talks about, he says, they hated me for no reason. Basically, what he's talking about there is like, like hatred that doesn't make any sense. It, it just doesn't make sense. Listen to me. I'd like to propose something to you. I'd like to propose to you if you aren't experiencing any, like, this doesn't make sense opposition or persecution in your life, I want to propose to you, you're blending in. You're, you're living as a chameleon. Okay? You're living in the world and you're blending in. Listen, if that's the case, you need to know something. You need to know you're abdicating you're abdicating the mission of God that you're called into. God wants you to partner. Listen to me. He saved you out. He chose you and rescued you out of the world so that you'd participate with him in his mission to renew and redeem all things. Everything. Okay? Uh, business, finance, your neighborhood, your parenting, food. I mean, like, everything. Jesus is passionate, passionate about the renewal of all things. And he invites you to join him in that mission. It's part of your purpose. And if you're blending in, if you're, if you're blending in, if, you, if you're not experiencing any opposition, it means you're abdicating. You're not participating in God's mission to redeem the world by expanding his kingdom where, where Jesus is king. He rules, he reigns, he calls the shots. Listen to me. Where Jesus is king, there will be human flourishing and renewal and opposition and persecution. 
Because we live in the middle of a war, friends. We live in the middle of a war and in the overlap where heaven is invading earth. How? Through the body of Christ, through Jesus' body, the church. The rescued ones, the chosen ones. Listen, if you don't feel any opposition, it might be because you're not a threat. But Jesus is the hated one. He is a threat to the kingdom of darkness on the earth. And living as a disciple of Jesus means you will be too. It's inevitable. Friends, what Jesus is doing here is he's using if-then language. So if this, then that. Okay? And he's using if-then language to give his followers, his disciples, an indicator of whether or not they're actually following just like if you jump in the pool, you will get wet. If you follow Jesus, you will live as a threat to the kingdom of darkness, and you will experience opposition. Listen, some of you, some of you aren't wet because you're nowhere near the pool, man. You're not living the life that God created you to live. You're not living life the way that God intends for you to live, partnering with him in the renewal of all things, pushing back the kingdom of darkness on the earth. You're not living with him as king. But listen to me. Because of his unending grace and love for you, you can you can start fresh today, man. No shame, no guilt. Jesus bore it all on the cross and you can move forward in partnering with God. Friends, Jesus is helping his disciples see. He's helping them become aware. He's giving them an indicator of what happens when they follow him. There will be human flourishing and renewal, heaven invading earth, right? And there will also be opposition and even persecution for seemingly no good reason. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Uh, I want to wrap up with just probably the most comforting, amazing portion of this passage. It's found here in the beginning there of verse 25. This idea that this happened, all the hatred and stuff, this happened to fulfill, it says. Do you know what that means? It means God is sovereign over the world, hating him and his disciples. He's sovereign over it. It means even the most awful things serve a purpose in his redemptive work. Okay, even the most awful things, like the Son of God being murdered on a cross, serve his redemptive purposes. The forces of evil on the earth, they thought murdering God meant victory. And it certainly did, but not for evil. For good. Because God is sovereign over all things. I've used this analogy before. God's sovereignty is like a river. Okay, the, the, the stream, the current of God's sovereignty is flowing towards redeeming all things. 
Okay, so no matter how hard it's opposed, the world cannot stop the flow of the stream of God's sovereignty. Friends, this should give us so much hope. This means every awful thing that you and I experience in life is not meaningless. It's not just suffering for the sake of suffering because things suck or they're bad. It ultimately serves a redemptive purpose even when and especially when we don't understand it. Watching and reading the news this week, I don't even know what to say. I don't understand it. But the beautiful truth of this passage tells me that God is sovereign over it all. In the stream, the flow, the current of his sovereignty moving towards the redemption of all things is certain, even when I don't understand it. Friend, God is sovereign over your life. I'm talking every millisecond of your life. You will face awful things. If you follow Jesus, you will experience opposition and even persecution. It's inevitable, okay? Jesus says he did, so you will too. But the question is this. What will you do when it inevitably comes? What will you do? When you experience opposition in life, how will you respond? Will you join the world in hating Jesus? Jesus, how could you let this happen? How could you let this happen to me? I'm suffering. How could you do this to me, Jesus? Will you join the world in hating Jesus or will you continue to live as a disciple? Will you continue to live a life of faith, of trusting him, that he is who he says he is, that he is sovereign over all things, even if it doesn't make sense to you. Even if it's not clear. You know what is clear? What is clear is that he loves you. And he chose you out of the world. He, he came to rescue you from sin and death. He loves you and he proved it with his blood. That we know is true. Even when we don't understand what's happening around us, that can be an anchor for our soul. Jesus is the hated one. But listen to me, there is no one more worthy of being followed than King Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're infinitely wise and infinitely good. And in this moment, you're inviting all of us back to you, back to trusting you and your sovereignty, your rule, your reign. You know more than us. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to give us faith, to trust you, that you, the, the, the that the, the stream, the flow of your sovereignty, of renewing all things, your redemptive work cannot be stopped. So Lord, for those of us that have drifted, 
we come back to you now? Will we, will we take you up on your invitation to join you once again and receive your forgiveness and your grace and your spirit to empower us to join you in your redemptive work, to follow you, to follow you. And for anybody who's tuning into this that is not yet in Christ, that has not received your glorious invitation to be with you now and forever, to follow you, to live with you as our King, not just our Savior, but our Lord. Would you meet them now? Would you invade their heart like the overcoming, invading King that you are? Bring your kingdom. That's our prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in me, and my friends watching this as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen. Friends, I want to give you an opportunity now to respond to Jesus, to praise him, to sing to him, to give him glory, to bless him. The band's going to lead us in a time now, so grace and peace to you. Enjoy him. Love you dearly.